Roman, have you had any homeless horrors? Not have like, you, Ashton? Not like I those, have. no. Let's get one, Ashton. <laughs> um, Jimmy Olsen on the spot here. What do we got? Yeah. Beat uh, on the street. Down in, uh, well, over to the right in NYC, mm. um, or I've been a few times, we were walking down a block, and there's always people sitting uh, around on the corners and uh, asking for money, panhandling. Uh, Which we support, sensitive to the cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sensitive to the cause. Um, uh, buy, buy, all the, buy all the trash bags that you'll find right at the, the street corners. But the, the one that sticks, sticks with me is um, we were walking, and it was right by a large, older building. Um, and there was a woman sitting on a some sort of carpet, like a floating magic carpet, <laughs> some sort of thing on on the street. And uh, she she had a, a a growth on her forehead or something that was bulbous and went down over an entire half of her face down her eye. It's a tumor. <laughs> a tumor. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, and. Uh, uh, She's having a baby. <laughs> her head, <laughs> head I baby. Locked, I locked eye with her because oh. one of her eyes were covered, but uh, um, uh, and like it went down from 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 her temple down to like her mouth, and I I just remember locking that one eye with her, and she started to open her mouth before my grandparents pulled me away, and we. <laughs> Across the street. God bless those grandparents. Yeah. She was about to open her mouth and shoot a beam of light into me and follow me into, <laughs> swallow me into her tumor. Into her tumor. Um, listen, we're sensitive to the cause. Those are people out there that all need help, but because we have poor government systems and policies in and place, they can't get that. we're just privileged middle class white boys. Who are particularly sensitive to images and aesthetics and emotions. We're all introverted boys. We feel things uh, pretty hard. So it's not to say that we think those people are bad or wrong, but we're but sen- scary. But scary, yeah. <laughs> you know, in some ways, we're scary. When you grow up people. in Colville, where there's just the one homeless guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, hey, Justin, you want to get us an intro? podcast by the comics place washington state's premier news source and comic book podcast where every tuesday jeff and or roman depending on on who (laughs) goes and gets a bunch of comic books these comic books come in these uh boxes with diamonds all over them these mythical diamond boxes um they go and they have to wager against the harsh Box Enchantress, the, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Uh, who often is smoking a cigar and carrying an AK-47. <laughs> Jeff or Roman uh, use, their, these boxes, eh? use their terrific 
you know, high verbal IQ mm-hmm. to wager a barter mm-hmm. uh, in from this enchantress to get these boxes back to the comics place. Then upon receiving these sacred boxes, we use our magical box knives to crack open these boxes, to look through them, sort them, and treat them like sacred tomes of Mm. fictional fifth dimensional wisdom. Um, We take them home, we consume them with vigor and respect. We commune with these sacred angelic forces of the comic book industry. Upon coming back, we digest and enter a meditative state below the earth. The uh, subterranean podcast layer. <laughs> where the light of the sun cannot see because we're, we're communing with the deep spirit of the depths. Uh, I'm Justin. I'm Jeff, and I don't know if it's noon or eight. That's true. I'm, I'm Roman, yes, and the sun burns, so it's good to get here. <laughs> I'm uh, Ashton, and I'm leaning on it being eight, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We got... Uh, we got Jimmy Olsen himself here, yeah. the feet on the street, the youth culture, our insight into what the teens are doing, what's hip and what's hot. <laughs> Mr. Ashton Barbecue Lee Chips. Garrett, thanks for being here, my hot pickle friend. Uh, red hair and all. Uh, red herring and all. Red Harry? Harry. Jimmy Olsen. Oh. Like he's Jimmy. one of them redheads. Yeah. Big Red Harry. I tied it into like a Red Herring type big thing. Big Red Harry Jimmy. Ah! Oh, uh, Jesus. God, don't Jesus. mess Don't mess we got, feet, we got the feet on the street over <laughs> here. Okay, Careful. Um, this week we're going to talk about Immortal Hulk, number 14. Ronin Island, number one. Doomsday Clock, number nine. Meet the Scrolls, number one. Green Lantern, number five. Justice League, 19. With that Liefeld cover. Female Fury is number two, and Batman number 66. Do you know what I call when I... Oh, I'm sorry. Did you read Immortal Hulk? I did. Okay, cool. I was going to say, if you didn't, didn't read it, actually, we can totally take it off the list. No, no, no. I just, I just read it. You know, sometimes when you, you see Rob Liefeld on a cover and you ask yourself why, you know what Every I say? Every single time. <laughs> I go, why Feld? Why Feld? Oh, yeah. Why Feld? Good. That's that's what I did today when I saw that cover. Why Feld? Why Feld? I kept doing that when every issue of Marvel this week had that that advertisement for that new Liefeld character with the yeah the Cyclops D- X Sergeant X or whatever yeah. it is Major <laughs> Major Major X, X. Oh, yeah jeez yeah he's got a sword that's made out of adamantium I think they're gonna like reveal it to be a person that we know and it's gonna be kind of a big deal mm-hmm. but when does he when do they show up let's get that like like let's just let's crack Immortal Hulk here and I'm sure there's gonna be a fucking advertisement Probably, for yeah, it in it's here gotta be um, mm. wow I spoke out my butt. I don't see one. Oh, here it is. Never mind. A full page. First exceptional issue, April 2019. Exceptional. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, we're on the cusp of the, a secret new X character. They've been talking about a secret new character, like, a lot. So I have a feeling that... It's, it's less gonna, than secret. It's going to be somebody that we're all like, oh, wow, that's Bishop? crazy that Bishop is Major X or whatever. I like the big shining egg in the middle of his chest. Yeah, the that's where he cool. keeps the Phoenix Force. Oh, it must so. be Howard the Duck. Oh. <laughs> Major X but yeah, just or the devil egg. Cyclops X visor on Magneto's helmet. And Did you hear that, everybody? Magneto's he- helmet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, don't and, apologize and he, for living your truth. And that is just a, a toned down Deadpool costume. Yeah, it really is. He's even got the sword and the gun. This is what I meant Deadpool to be, but then you turned him into a joke. You guys don't get it. Rob Liefeld has been writing the same one character from different angles. That's true. All along. This is his his genius. He's trying to pull from deep within Cable himself. Cable meets Deadpool. <laughs> He's trying to get down to the primal archetypal yeah. package. He's of got a, a big package. Yeah, he does. For sure he's. So, 
Immortal Hulk. With the width of that, it, there's maybe two packages in there. Maybe that's the big reveal. He's, got a, he's double packing. Wow. Um, this, you know, we're on record as like love, love, loving this book, and this one's got a new artist on it, uh, Kyle Holtz. And it's a pretty different art style. And we had just sort of wrapped up this really big arc that was unlike kind of any comic book arc that I had really ever experienced from like a main publisher. This sort of like meditational, Jungian philosophy, religious sort of exploration of what the Hulk is. So I almost had some inertia built up of like... How do I get out of that space and start like a new arc? Like I didn't know what at all this was going to be, but it was it was kind of hard. I didn't crack this issue first, which is kind of what I had done with the five issues before it. What did it, what did you all think about that? That was sort of my journey with approaching this. I totally agree. Like, oh, there's things that need to be tied up and there's like plots and characters and stuff when I've that is a shock because I've been so in this like meditative what is everything anything right. space. So, I felt like Personally, I missed an issue. Did I didn't miss that uh, Colonel Bad Guy, Major Major X Bad Guy? What's the he's the Thunderbolt Hulk, Ross? Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah, this sort of whole issue is framed around the funeral of Thunderbolt Ross. When, when did, did he, he die? die? Captain America. Captain America. It didn't happen in the Hulk series. Yeah. Well, that's uh, great that you know that Roman, but fucking Jimmy well, Olsen over here. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. Feet on the go. streets. <laughs> Were you are you reading Captain America? I read the first four issues, but there is some subtext in this issue that lets us know. We just got subtexted, Justin. Dude. <laughs> here we are thinking we're good at comics and we got the true comics bros. Here. Yeah, we got the true believers here. So <laughs> so they d- okay, so I wasn't sure when that had happened or whatnot. I was like, was it a Secret Empire or Civil War II or something? But it okay, so it happened in in Captain America, are we sad he's gone? Was it a good death? Um, <clears throat> it now I don't remember. Ash, was it? Do they think that Steve Rogers killed him? Um, I don't know. I haven't read that. Oh, okay, book. okay. Because I'm trying to remember because I've read all the Captain America issues, and right now he's in a private prison that's ran by Baron. No, not Baron Zemo. Baron Strucker. That's where Punisher is. <laughs> um, different prison, but private prison. Yeah, and he's in there because well, let's get into the politics of is it a private private prison or is it a federally funded prison? It's private. Okay. Okay. It's, cool. They make a point of that. Oh, well, it's clearly it's you have a couple private. times as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, because those are wrong. Um, and and I think yeah, they he's in there because he supposedly killed Thunderbolt Ross. Because him and Ross were at, were at loggerheads. Captain and, America is? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it sucks that Captain America did it, but man, like, Ross? Who are we picking sides with? Captain yeah. America or Thunderbolt? I guess we're all primed up on Captain America being a Nazi, so. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm think Thunderbolt side. Ross is a dick. Yeah, I think, oh, I he, think is. Yeah. he has been for years. Well, except, except for brief periods, like when he was the Red Hulk. But So... So anyway, he's dead in this. I guess that yeah. that raises a question. It sort of brings up that this is his third funeral or whatever. Uh, if he's a Hulk, I guess we have every assumption that he's going to come back because Hulks are just people that don't die now, yeah. it seems. Yeah. It's not going to be good when it happens. So we spent – what's her name? Betty Brant? Is that – no, that's in the Daily Bugle. Who is this? Oh, yeah. Um, Betty Ross. Betty, Betty Ross. Ross or okay, right, Betty, right. And I, I don't remember. She was married to Bruce at one point, so I don't know if they ever – Betty Banner actually got divorced or it was annulled. I can't remember. I did like the like her voice in this and just like I don't know much about the Hulk mythos, but like her talking about the events of her life through this made me like it caught me up on how like 
fucked up their relationship is. And abusive and, Bruce Banner is yeah. kind of just across the board as a partner. Yeah, he's it's it's a dark thing. Um and that made me feel pretty ooky, but I liked her voice and I felt really sympathetic for her character. Like, man, that woman has had a hard life just trying to date a superhero. Right. Um so yeah, I, I like this issue, though it it was it was confusing for me. Uh, I also liked it a lot. The art sort of reminded me of the good Venom art that's come out. Like it, I'm not I'm not familiar with this artist before, but it had some sort of Ralph or uh, Ryan Stegman look to it. Uh, angles and big eyes, and it looks a fair amount like the the art art in the Venom book that's been coming out. For sure, I agree with that. Yeah, I. It was when she did the dialogue. So there's a spoiler for this issue in here. There's spoilers across the board on all of this, everybody. Get ready. Buckle up. We don't have uh, Dirk Wood or Stuart Shrek sponsoring our <laughs> spoilers this week, but we got Jimmy Olsen, and he's got his feet on the street. He's taking pictures. He's letting everybody He's spoiling know. it all. He's spoiling that milk. So it was the dialogue line where she's talking about how, in, in relating to Bruce Banner, he said he cheated on her, broken her heart and her life a dozen ways, and when she'd become his equal, the Red She-Hulk, He'd taken that away from her too, and I was like, "Damn, this guy sucks." And I was like, "She's about to die," and then the next, like, two pages later, she gets shot through the head. And I did I was, not see that coming. Yeah, it. Near to she. Yeah. Oh, Whoa, spicy Roman. Roman is quite the <laughs> quite the instigator here, and I was like, "Damn, that is brutal." And then Hulk, you know, freaks the fuck out. I forget this guy apparently went to hell with them. That that shot them, shot her, but I don't really remember him being there. there Dunkirk or whatever his name is. There's a couple ding dongs floating around in hell that I couldn't really remember or place. So I was like, oh, that's just like you know, is that when, Sasquatch guy? Or? Yeah, that's when Bulma was on Namek. Like oh, we're more concerned with the other stuff going on. Right. We don't need to see Bulma. In her. Like I was like, who are these goofy guys in hell? Uh, I didn't realize his he had a gun arm or he's he some just, kind of yeah, turn his arms into shit. Yeah, I he's, forget. He's an initial guy that. I think shot a, a, a absorbing man, or I'm probably mixing up. Is he the guy who yeah who shot the absorbing man, Crusher Creel, that then yeah. opened the door oh. to the place? Yeah. So this guy is just trigger happy dickhead. He's just trigger happy <laughs> d hole. Yeah, well, he's working for somebody. Yeah, and we don't super super know who that is yet. Oh, it's something Fortian, which kind of brought me yeah. back to was when you oh, talked right. about Fortian stuff in the past. Was that related to a Hulk book? Yeah, yeah. I. It's like the sort of the study of the supernatural. Anom- yeah. yeah, the the unknown. Anomalous, uh, anomalous phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. So when this guy's last name is Fortian, I was like, oh man, was that this book that Justin had talked about? That. So I think that's a kind of fun. I'm starting to think it's do. actually intentional. Like, yeah. If if he's not a new character, I mean, if he is a new character for this book alone, it's got to be a reference. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It seems yeah. it seems that. But there's the really cool thing in there, which is that uh, Betty gets shot, but then her eye glows. So she's gonna she's been oh. Red She Hulk before. So she's gonna come back from the dead. Yeah. I didn't even notice that, bro. Yeah, it's 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 glowing. It's glowing. But now let's have Roman drop the the TikTok on us. Who's this doctor guy? This shows up. I'm your doctor. Try to stay calm. It's yellow shirt, green it's, hair. We like red him. shirt, yellow light yeah, bulb. He's, he's a good character. It's Doc Samson. I thought he's it was Doc Samson. Gamma powered superhero, and he's a psychiatrist. So he's he's a hunk. He's, he's been the psychiatrist for many superheroes, including okay. Bruce Banner, over and over and over. I like him a lot. Okay, I was like, I I've, I recognize this character. Oh, and originally, 
when he first showed up, he was a rival for Betty's affections. Oh. Because he's hot. Well, he's a hot guy with green hair. With green long skin. green hair. Yeah. And yeah. he reminds, like, if you took Jeff and threw him through a gamma radiator, that's what Doc Samson would be. He's a psychiatrist guy, got that long flowing hair. My pecs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, give me a pecker. Ooh, oh, ooh. I, I mean, uh, I meant like a peck dance, but. I, I, I really like this book. I, I, I don't know. I was, it, it took me a second to read it. Because I had gotten an amount of closure from the previous stuff, and I, I didn't know exactly what opening another chapter was going to be like, but I, I really dug it, and I would give it an 8.5 really dug comic. And I, I, th- I liked the art. I, I missed the old artist, Joe Bennett, but I'm also excited to see what this person does. On this Immortal Hulk into a new story, I'm going to throw down a 9. I'm enjoying this art. Um, there's some real good stuff with... Some infrared uh, sight stuff. I mean, I don't know how a a bio natural man hand gun is going (laughs) to do some infrared technology. Thank God that's a a hole in your knowledge, Ashton. (laughs) But uh, um, I just love the way that looks. Um, And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be reading the Hulk book. It's been fun. Have you been reading this whole thing? Oh, yeah. Wow. You never know with Ashton, because, you know, sometimes he's reading everything. Sometimes he's reading Captain America, and you don't know it. Yeah, gosh. Um, I give it an 8. I didn't get much closer from the la- closure from the last arc, and this feel- feels to be, like, a different thing. And I'm, I'm still caught up in the hell stuff and trying to right. digest all of that. Like, I don't know what this book is now. Um, and it kind of, I don't know why, but her being shot after building up this really sympathetic angle on her and showing how Bruce is a dick and her getting shot after kind of being like, yeah, my entire life has been in Bruce's shadow really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, they're just playing with my emotions and I'm easily falling into their trap. <laughs> I'm nibbling on the cheese on the mouse trap. I'll give it a nine. Um, like you, I, I really like this art, but I do hope the regular artist comes back. Yeah, there's a real good um, steez about him. His yeah. steez factor is at least yeah. a five. Yeah. yeah. Strunk, is that his name? I think... Well, I think the other one is... Oh, this is Hotz. Oh, Hotz. Yeah, I don't know if it's Joe Strunk. <laughs> How many Strunks do you give yeah. me? You give it nine Strunks? I give it nine, yeah. Wow, yeah. nine whole Strunks. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this guy. Hey, Ashton, can you kick off a convo about Ronan Island? Because I, I, I was peeking into your soul a little bit, and it Ooh. turns out that you and I have real similar feelings about this. Well, Roman Island. Ronan Sweet. Island is... Ew, that's a different thing. A new first issue from Boom by Greg Pak, Giannis, Milano Giannis. Great name. Irma Nivela. Mm-hmm. Can I pause you for a second? Okay. Jeff, will you say his actual name and then that's I can... That's how s- I would do it. Gianni Milogiannis. Can Giannis I... Giannis Milogiannis. Yeah, okay, that's... Uh, <laughs> Take a stab at it. This, this well, is Well, I know artist. the name from Justin saying it like within the last several years. It's a person that Justin's talked about like even as much as like two or three years ago. Yeah, he did some art and profit. I really like it. And this is how bad I said the name when I first read it was... Giannis Milogiannis. <laughs> or no, it was Milogiannis. <laughs> Giannis Milogiannis. And then when Jeff said, like, oh, I ordered that Gianni Milogiani book, I didn't know who that was because I had Milogiannis in my mind for so long. I was like, oh, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> well, he's got an art book coming out that never came in because I think it got canceled. But... Uh, he's awesome. Yeah, I do really enjoy this art. It's pretty um, appealing. And soft on the eyes. It's, uh, it lets you, I don't know where I'm going with that. You're doing great. 
it's not it's not too caught up in all the minute details. It's just no, it's, giving it's, you what you need. It's like yeah, it's not as like detailed and dirty and techno-y or sci-fi as like his, his the stuff that I've seen from him in the past. For sure. It's kind of a quick a quick samurai art where it's not even like super detailed, but it's definitely proficient. Yeah. I just love his hard angles. It, it looks like we're running Kenshin. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk about this story. Yeah, this story is about uh, an island populated by various Eastern cultures. Uh, Korean and Chinese were the ones that were explicitly stated that I remember. Um, and they have a samurai school type of class where kids on the island are training to be uh, the defenders of the island and protectors. Um, there are two focused characters. Uh, there's a boy that's higher class. Uh, it starts off with him being given his uh, father, who has passed away's um, uh, samurai armor, as well as a low-class girl who works on the rice farms, and uh, she doesn't there's a contrast between the two characters, which I think they'll dig into as the story goes on. Um, I, I guess at that point, immediately I was like, oh, this is the same writer as Met Cadet U, and this is Met Cadet U on a samurai island. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like the the poor lower class kid gets this crazy suit of armor from, you know, like, the robot and the rich people done. And I guess that's what you were saying earlier. And, you yeah. know, this is like it, it felt like a book that's been done before. And I was like, yeah, not only has it been done before, but it's been done by the same studio and the same writer. Yeah. Um, and... I like this one more because I, 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 I liked the samurai. I really liked Ashton. You really impressed me in what you pick up in a book because you're younger than me, and I don't know that I was that astute. But like, yeah, the I really like the idea of this this island that's populated by people who have survived a different sort of cataclysmic event, but are are all sort of like refugees and that is what binds them as a nationality. I think that was really cool. I don't know. Like, Roman, what do you think of it? Um, it's I, a Roman I, island. I, I really like... Yeah, they should They should retitle it that. It will sell better. Um, it would sell <laughs> an amount. An, an amount, <laughs> yes. I, oh. If I saw a book called Roman Island and it, I knew it was based <laughs> on all, Roman Statler... They all I had would, little Roman uh, heads on it. I would <laughs> never give this book to any teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we can get Django to Photoshop the cover of this with some Roman <laughs> oh, heads on it while he's you. on the airplane tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I did really enjoy that, that setup, the... The community structure, the society structure on the island, the actual story—I wasn't really care that much, but I like that idea. I mean, I'll probably read the second one just to see how that develops. But yeah, it all felt pretty familiar. It did, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the fact that the grandmother, the farming grandmother, grabs like a farm scythe and she's like leading the charge, no, and, and the fight. samurai guys behind her. <laughs> yeah. I I thought it was all pretty good. I remember really liking the first issue of Met Cadet U. And I, I, yeah. I feel like this kind of hit me similarly. Yeah. I don't know how long it could sustain me, but I do. I really like that idea of that island culture of yeah. the collected people who have been rejected from you know a larger culture and they've, they've created their own. I think that that was really awesome. That part sounds really interesting to me. And in comparison with a samurai's tale. I'd much rather spend time on the island learning about the island rather than just in fleshing out what the island could be. Demonsburgs. Yeah. 
Spoigs. Yeah, when the general um, shows up from the mainland representing the Shogun and wants them to assimilate, basically, that that was an interesting conversation. That shot is so cool. She's like, I'm a big, powerful jerk guy. I'm the big <laughs> jerk boy. Um, I would give it a seven is my is my feeling on it. I, I think I gave Mechadet U a higher score, but realizing sort of how similar this was, it kind of even lowered my... It's, it's just a very... But I think it's cool. I like the dressing of a Ronin story more than the sort of sci-fi kid with a robot story. So, I, I, I seven. I'll I'll probably give this a five, as much as I did enjoy it, or maybe a six, because I did enjoy the samurai action, um, and it's a more forgiving samurai structure because uh, I th- I think that for typically, if you're going to be a samurai, it's a heredit or hereditary. Um, your, if your your father to your son, um, and this girl is able to be uh, in this practice, um, which would not be, but I like that that's, uh, it shows that it's a more accepting community. Yeah, because they're all refugees, and yeah. you're, they're, like, disconnected from their family lineages. And Justin, so. what do you give Roni Kenshin? Roroni Kenshin, yeah. uh, solid 8.5. Yeah, solid 8.5. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, I'm sure it's higher. I can't remember most of it. Uh, me neither. I don't know yeah. that I ever watched the middle part of it. But, um, <laughs> all right, we've got Doomsday Clock number nine here. Oh, this is a comedy. Comment- six. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry, Roman. <laughs> Jesus, you got to speak up, buddy. Or you got to interrupt people more. I just did. That's what I like about you. <laughs> you make me feel all right. Look how fast it is. Oh, God. Doomsday Clock number nine. Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, you know, like 18 months Woo-hoo. after Jeff issue 8. Jeff Jans. Did everybody read this? This was so damn No, I, I didn't read the issue before oh, it. I heard about it. I heard a lot of conversation about it. I still need to read it, but I was able to appreciate this one fully, I think, without having read that. I think Django said in the text, like, you need to read the last one. It's intrinsically related to it. Yeah, I don't think that you, Jeff, as a comic book reader, would need to read anything, and you would not need, like, I think anyone reading this at the way you read, yeah, I, I, it, I disagree. Yeah, it, it, it made sense to me, but I've also engaged in a lot of listening to what happened about the last issue, so. Yeah. This one, we basically get all of the people flying out to Mars, all of the all of the DC supers. It gave me like a Crisis on Infinite Earth feel where it seemed like they were trying to draw and include every DC superhero. You know, not quite to the extreme that they did, but, you know, they're all flying out to Mars to basically meet the threat that they assume or they believe is the person responsible for causing Firestorm to explode in the previous issue. And Dr. Manhattan's just standing out there being hot and naked and wondering about stuff. <laughs> and Batman Batman is staying on Earth, and he's like, oh, I don't know that it is for sure this Mars guy's fault. I got to send a message out there to tell him it's not necessarily his fault, but the message takes 12 minutes to be delivered. So this whole issue takes place in the span of these 12 minutes of this message trying to get sent from the time to, like lag of going to Mars. I really liked it. Man, I did too. How... You saying that made me. I don't remember. How does Batman. How does he have the suspicion that it's not. I don't remember. Happened? Let's take a look is at it. Is it when him and Rorschach ago. tussled in the Batcave? Rorschach hinted at him that something else is going on? Because I think he references Rorschach in this issue. There he does. And in the previous and, issue, um, right before the explosion, he reads Rorschach. When, journal, when he's right? in the Bat plane or whatever he's in over there. He says it isn't Firestorm. Yeah, he goes, oh, no! And then, and then the explosion happens. Yeah, yeah they, Alfred's like, yeah, they, there was an energy 
associated with Firestorm that they had never experienced before. But that energy they encountered, they traced it back to Mars. And then Bruce says they're being played. Yeah. Played? Excuse me, sir. Um, so that energy that they you know, have never experienced before or whatever is probably just the Watchmen world energy. So it could just as easily be Ozymandias or it could just as easily be Comedian. Mm-hmm. And or Rorschach. Could, yeah, or Rorschach. And the thing, the feeling that I got reading this was that, like, man, Lex Luthor is Ozymandias on our Earth. Like, they're the, yeah. they're the same guys. So that's what I was just like, this has got to be a Lex Luthor thing. And he shows up later in the issue and... It seems like maybe he wasn't behind it because he's trying to help Lois out, but... Someone is for sure framing Dr. Manhattan, which, when I first read through this, this book pissed me off because it was like, they better not be reducing Dr. Manhattan's complex character to something that could be a good guy or a bad guy because he's so removed from humanity that he doesn't... He's po- he's outside duality. Yeah, and I didn't super like feel like he was being put as a good guy or bad guy as I was reading it. Just like the fact that they think he's a good guy right. or a bad guy, and Jeff Johns writing him in that like, yeah. I was like please don't. But they don't him. know who yeah. he is. So. And Django pointed out like he, it's it's pretty obvious that he's not the one doing it. Right. But I was really angry at the fact that like, are you seriously making Doctor Manhattan either a good guy or a bad right, guy? Because no. he's he's not that at all. So for sure, he's my favorite favorite part of the Watchmen. So I got yeah. like seriously spurg spurg mad there for a second I, this book made me realize how much i love watchmen well i didn't i didn't get that impression at all about him um man i love this issue i really love this issue too like and it made me think like i wasn't really sure what this book was going to be like i thought it was going to be I, I i originally came i thought it was going to be sort of the explanation of how the dc rebirth universe happened and i think that that is what it is but I think it's also because it's taken so long to come. I think it's being classified sort of as a sequel to The Watchmen. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it needs to be considered that. It doesn't. It feels like a epilogue or a post. Like yeah, or just I don't. I don't know. Like it. It doesn't necessarily. This book has to exist with The Watchmen, but The Watchmen doesn't need to exist with this. This is sort of the DC universe relating to The Watchmen right, for sure. I don't see much connection tissue besides the characters the original Watchmen like we're not seeing the fallout of you know Night Owl's relationship right like it it feels to me like yeah they're import this is the tale of how the Watchmen characters got imported into the DCU yeah to me it's sort of we went from the DC universe to the new 52 and they created Flashpoint for that and then we went from the new 52 to Rebirth and we didn't get an explanation about that but in the very first Rebirth issue like three and a half years ago you know, showed the button and it showed Dr. Manhattan's hand. So we knew that they were... So I think what this is, is this is the story of how Dr. Manhattan, either inadvertently or, in, or advertently, uh, sort of t- tweaked the DC universe to be what the Rebirth universe is. Yeah. I think that it has gone through so many delays at this point, they don't feel super comfortable saying that. But hmm. that, that, yeah, I, I think that's, that's my the impetus. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's... Uh... And the reason we don't currently have a JSA is because Manhattan went back and prevented Hal or geez, Alan Scott from getting the getting the lantern. Right. Um, so that's why there's not one in Rebirth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's even early stuff. Uh, another graphic novel I was reading the other day. I had to Google some stuff about Owl Man, and I'd forgotten that the, the Dark Side War or something when that version of Owl Man got the Mobius chair. Mm-hmm. And he discovered like all the secrets of the universe that opened up to him, 
And then he was killed by a flash of blue light. That was Dr. Manhattan. Oh, yeah. That was right before Rebirth happened and Jeff yeah. Johns was writing it. So, but, yeah, it's going back that far. But I think yeah. that just because this book has taken so long to come out, DC is sort of backed away from how important this is to the birth of Rebirth. And they're just sort of like, well, we're three years into Rebirth at this point. No one's asking questions. Let's just go with it. Yeah. But this book's still got to come out. Cowards, <laughs> indeed. Because but... there was even something in here that uh, – some dialogue that hints that this is also tied into uh, Heroes in Crisis. Um, there, there's dialogue about Wally. Yeah, uh, and and, and the fact that now, but... <laughs> Wally hasn't existed, and that's yeah. such a big part of Heroes in Crisis, is you know this book's story as well. So yeah, yeah, and I and yeah, and I love the tenuous connection with Watchmen. It, it, like you said, it doesn't just the fact that in Watchmen, Doctor Manhattan says I have to go somewhere else. Yeah, and then he disappears. <laughs> I did love how they just. They put so many heroes into this, and I think that that is one of the reasons this book has slowed down so much. I think this issue in particular is Gary Frank is trying to draw. There's so many silent panels in this that if you're wanting to get a book out quick, you could just be like, well, don't do that. But they really – there are pages of silent panels setting up that every significant character in the DC universe is going to Mars. Yeah, and some that – like there was one one person – this guy in the black tank top with the star. Yeah, who's that? And the star in his head. I'm not even sure. I think that's uh, uh, Robbie, the kid that the original Dial H for Hero kid. Okay. I think, but I'm not sure because he has mul- multiple arms. What I loved was like and the metal men. The metal men in there. You <laughs> had the Doom Patrol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so so many really All great characters. Yeah, without I Batman. I don't know who that guy is actually. Yeah, and I love when Roman doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Oh, that's, that's Magog. Is that Magog hanging yeah. out with the Shazam family? So he's around in Rebirth. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, this just this this issue really set this book as a as, you know it's its own story to me, and it's got its own arcs, and and so much of it does mirror the Watchmen, and I think that's an awesome awesome thing that they're doing. You know, like the Firestorm explosion of the last issue and people turning against Firestorm and Superman, turning against Superman, mirrors that issue, same issue number in The Watchmen with everyone turning against Dr. Manhattan when he gets sort of tricked into being thinking that he's exposing people to cancer. Um, I, I love the way that this mirrors all that stuff, but I also, like, it's got its own plot and its own story, and I'm really excited to know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, even the mirroring kind of, even though this isn't the... The last part of this story, I felt like them all going to Mars and everything was kind of in some ways mirrored the end of Watchmen when they confront uh, Ozymandias outside of his fortress. This is the same issue that Silk Spectre goes to Mars to confront. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. So it's mirroring that. Cool. Yeah, and they see the big glass structure yeah. in oh, this issue. Like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. 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 And there's just so many great – I mean, I love the battle – they I love have. Captain Adam versus Doc, yeah. Dr. Manhattan, which is the character that Dr. Manhattan was based on. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the fact that Firestorm is able to hurt um, Manhattan mm-hmm. and that the heroes win, supposedly, and Manhattan just kind of starting with this nervous system and <laughs> like reconstitutes himself. Just like he did when he was created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was – I love what they did with – big spoilers with Ronnie Raymond here. Professor Stein, yeah. there's a whole new element added there that, I mean, they've been around since, you know, 1978, and now there's this whole new wrinkle to their entire relationship and their origin. 
and everything. That that really surprised me. I would give this a 9.5. This is one of a couple books that is just such a dense, interconnected story within itself that I'm glad to be a part of it. Like the Tom King Batman run. There's not a lot of other things that feel so like when you're reading that story that it's just this big story that you're in. And, you know, you're in the weeds of it. And I bet that the Green Lantern Morrison book is one of those. Um, I think Tom King's Batman is one of those. And I, I like that this is one of those. You're just, you're chopping down weeds going through here. Ashton, how's it going for you with it? I'm a couple issues behind. I haven't read this one. Mm-hmm. I uh, only looked at the cup. The I've gone through. You're on Captain the, America, though, so. Yeah, I've gone through the pictures a couple times in this throughout the week. And uh, I'm anticipating a... Uh, nine or nine point five. Once I read it, because I've really been enjoying this story. What do you What do you got? It. I give it boys? an eight, um, which seems like a low compared to everybody else. There were some weird fanboy things that bothered me, and I again, com- this comes back to the my initial statement that you know I don't. The Watchmen was never. Yeah, I don't know. I think that some of the characters leading to an, an action thing. Does it doesn't feel in core with what I think the Watchmen is? That's just my own bias stuff. But I really love seeing all the characters, um, and I think for the most part, it's pretty respectful to the Watchmen. So, eight. Yeah, um, I'll give it a nine point five. I love all the all the fanboy stuff. I love it opens with uh, Manhattan getting uh, uh, Feral Lad's ring from Feral Lad sacrifice Legion of Superheroes. Uh, sacrificed his life sure. to, to stop the Sun Eater, <laughs> and that's his ring floating there. And I love that's that a reference ring. to Feral Lad right there. I just love all that kind of stuff and the DC history that's all interwoven in this. And I love the quantum time jumping around with Manhattan and the way the way his it changes his perceptions of everything. Yeah, I like the way that's portrayed. I feel like this whole thing is just trying to make the DC universe uh, cohesive, like everyone is involved. And so the Legionnaires are on the same footing as the Watchmen character. There is no hierarchy. It's yeah. all this one giant beautiful universe. And I really like that. And it, the fact that they're weaving them in without just making it a Watchmen story, making it kind of this DC, is it's all DC. I really do like that. Boy, this discussion makes me wonder if, if Darkseid is the one behind Oh, that would everything. be so be good. Awesome. Yeah. That would be Darkseid really good. Is. <laughs> Dark side. Um, so we got to get Roman to work here real quick. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna plow through a quick one, and then Justin and I, I think read the meat. I've, I've got until two. Justice League 19. Am I the only one reading Justice League? I hadn't been. reading I forgot it. that it came in this week, so I didn't read it. <laughs> so this is Scott Snyder still doing his what to me has been really hit and miss Justice League book. There's arcs that are just clearly seem tied into other things like the Aquaman movie. There was an arc there. There was a big Hawkman arc that seemed like they were trying to just get Hawkman's book going. Um, but the the stuff that seemed like he wanted it there is pretty cool. And this book, it, it was touted as the, the event that he's got going on here is the sixth dimension, which those are some hot words for me. Like that's... But you better be packing heat if you're giving... <laughs> If you're gonna if you're gonna add a new layer to the onion of the sixth dimension, you better be doing it in a way that I think is intellectually challenging. Final Crisis all took place with the fifth dimension. If you're gonna say something's yeah. above that, you better bring some you know some well, hot cup of soup with you. Yeah, you better put some chili on it. I'm, he, I'm sure Morrison or somebody introduced the sixth dimension before, but well, he pulls out the. Or like the multiverse map that Grant Morrison introduced, hmm. and 
Mitzelpilikalik is a fifth dimensional imp. We always, like, he's always credited as a fifth dimensional imp. So Same with Batmite. Yeah, so that places them in the in that mentioned Batmite, although I didn't realize that it was Batmite that they referenced until you just said that. Um, <laughs> I love Batmite. But, so, first I gotta get off my chest. Scott Snyder has been doing this thing that really annoys me. It seems like Scott Snyder trying to do a Bendis thing where he has the bubbles. It's almost kind of like Squirrel Girl-esque or something where there's a little bubble of just lighter gray text that is just kind of a small thought that they've got that they just keep doing you know like imagination is the blood of the multiverse the energy that flows between the realms until you nitwits broke the source wall or like the multiverse is penthouse they still have penthouses right that's or that just the 80s like just these weird little like whatever sure it's kind of fun it's just kind of annoying i don't know it, it, i hate that shit yeah i hate that shit too it, it was just like <laughs> scott snyder you have a voice that's strong and i dig and it doesn't incorporate that i, I appreciate you progressing and doing a new thing but also Come on, just get the story out. But, um, yeah, the Mitzelpitalik gets the multiverse map out. And he says, this is the multiverse as you live it, puny heads. Um, now, add imagination, which exists outside of this, and that's the fifth dimension. And then, he's, and then so then, so now it takes this two-dimensional map and makes a three-dimensional map of it. And he says, like, you know, the... This whole map of the multiverse exists with imagination being the blood, and that's the fifth dimension is imagination. Fourth is time. And and then he just sort of, he says that, like, but there's a sixth realm at the very tip top of everything, closed off to all but the most powerful beings. And the best way to describe it to you, insect intellectuals, is it's like the multiverse's control room. And is that somehow more creative or powerful or bigger or than imagination? Because you don't a realm for things beyond the imagination of almost all living things, a realm of impossible where the multiverse was designed and set in motion. So it doesn't create a metaphorical six-dimensional thing, but it creates this sort of six-dimensional concept of a place that exists outside of the fifth dimension. So. I guess that was the big question to me is how is he going to represent a sixth dimension? And he doesn't necessarily do it in the conceptual exponential growth way of, you know, fifth dimension is a dot, second dimension is a line, third dimension yeah. is volume, fourth dimension is time, fifth dimension is imagination. He just sort of says, all right, here's what exists outside of that. And he draws that by just saying that there's the monitor, the anti-monitor, the forger, the forger of worlds, who's the multiverse, you know, the metal guy. And then there's this person, Perpetua who has existed forever. At the end of this, Superman... Mitzelpitalik says, like, listen, I've got this door to the sixth dimension. Like, I can create it. He opens it. Superman's like, listen, I'm going to go for it. It's going to be okay. And he goes out the door, and, like, a minute later, he comes back in this just, like, celestial white glowing gold suit. He's like, listen, sorry I was gone for so long, uh, but it's good to be back together. And they're like, y'all just been gone for a minute or so. And he's like, well, I was gone for X number of years. And he's like, y'all should come with me through this door, we're going to the sixth dimension, and they go through the door, and they see this sort of future Justice League where the Justice League won, and Jeff John, John Jones is now the White Lantern, Superman's got this, like, Imperial robe thing, Martian Manhunter and Hawk Girl are holding hands, and they have, like, a little Martian Hawk Girl kid, there's a Flash who's just got, like, both Wally and, um, Barry behind him, sort of in spirit, and he's got a white and gold outfit as well. Bruce has got a black and red outfit. Diana's doing something with a crazy costume. And everything just looks like, wow, okay, what happened here? Like, 
a lot of cool seed ideas. I want to know how they got to that spot. I really like the Superman and Batman designs. Yeah. yeah Superman looks amazing. He does. Pretty cool. That's like, cool. It's, That's it's cool. All, it's all pretty cool. I think... But did you see that coming with, like, no. the... I mean, I didn't... I, I've seen the solicitation for the next cover, and it shows the Justice League fighting those future ones. And I was thinking, like, maybe it's Evolution versus, you know, Basic Instinct or something like yeah. that. And this is... This is whatever. This is... Good superhero romp stuff. Yeah, it's not... that that whole Superman not being the same. That that's good. Really cool stuff. I would say that everyone should check it out. I give it um, an eight. Well, seven point five to an eight. The, the 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 dialogue stuff did really bother me at times, and the first chunk of the storytelling is kind of hard to follow. Jorge Jimenez, his art is awesome, but it also it also he's going to grow into it. He's got great images, but um, it can be confusing at times to sort of follow panel to panel what's going on. But, I do like his like his character designs. And yeah. They are all gorgeous. But, um, you know, I will accept the six-dimensional thing that Scott Snyder is working with as a working model that I will not internalize as, like, Grant Morrison saying, here's the map of the multiverse, where I'm like, yes, that's it. That, you know, that's it. So, did anybody else read Meet the Scrolls? I did. Yes. I did. Okay, wow. I thought it was just Justin and I. Well, never mind then. Let's all talk about <laughs> Robbie Thompson and Nico Henrichon's, Henrichon's uh, Meet the Scrolls number one. The art is really cool. The art was really cool. I, liked I it. really like the art. It's... Yeah, he he did two issues of that Marvel Knights book, and that was what yeah. like his art is what pushed me through reading that Marvel oh. Knights book. And I I really like the art. It it almost has James Stokoe's qualities to it, I not agree. with like the Technicolor coloring, but with some of the detail and some of the facial structure. Yeah, the eyes are very Stoko-esque as well. Like, and, like this armor shot of like Iron Man getting out of his armor yeah. with it disintegrating is kind of Stoko-y. Even just the coloring on that page with Iron Man falling through the ceiling. Yeah, the coloring is very Stoko. Yeah, the contrast of Iron Man's armor and the kind of dull lab was the really greens nice. and reds are very Stoko-esque. If anybody well. doesn't know what we're talking about by comparing it to James Stoko, um, that's a creator that we're all really, really fond of who doesn't do much work and, and his work is unlike anybody else's. So you should come into the store or whatever your local comic shop is and ask them to show you some James Stoko art. Because it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like this book. Like it, it has a like a cool little setup. They did some like you know, uh, it was more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I was ready. My to thoughts for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we need a scroll fucking book because scrolls are in that movie, but they, they're doing a cool thing. And I, I like the main character of the story. Yeah, I, I really did too. I, Roman, what did you think? Oh, I was, I was just going to, I was just going to say it, it surprised me because I thought it was just going to be like this family of scrolls left over from the, whatever the last scroll invasion of earth was. And it turns out there's a whole new there's family of scrolls is in deep cover on Earth um, to set up a, a new scroll invasion. It appears maybe. And I remember talking about the Advant Guards number one several episodes ago, and I was just sort of like, this is a book kind of about learning to fit in, mm. and that is a concept that sometimes can feel, I think, absolutely warranted, but to me can be a little bit boring sometimes. Like it can be a little bit like a thing I've seen before. And this, to me, took that concept in a way that was something that was way more interesting to me, which is a thing that I could latch on to, and it had a a darkness to it. Not that darkness makes things better, but 
you know, the, like the youngest scroll girl is trying to fit in and the other ones are like way more into just sort of like being what they need to be to get in their deep cover and get shit done. Yeah, they're and all she's into like, the mission and she just wants to like... I'm not trying to like win over teenagers. <laughs> wants to be liked and, you know, wants to... It doesn't really care that much about the mission. Right, and she doesn't want to make the mission succeed if it means that she has to be a piece of shit and befriend these yeah. worse humans. Like... I, I really liked that. It was the it was a type of human character drama involved with high school years that I I did really like and latch onto. Yeah, and I like the little details in within her family, the the art details like her older sister is uh has some even in scroll form, she has like a set of four horns on her forehead, so she's kind of doing this individual body modification thing that Oh, I didn't notice that. The big sister is like into when she's super confident and everything and Jeez. aggressive and the little sister's not like that at all. What do you think, Ashton? I really liked it. Um, it's nice to see the contrast between all of the scroll family, uh, like you guys were saying, with the main character having more of a compassion and not necessarily wanting to be a scroll, maybe, like uh, in those first couple pages. After she comes home, she's she'd been bullied by her peers, uh, and she sits down at the table uh, with her phone in hand. And her, what would be dad, uh, says, "You know the rules. Not at the dinner table." And there's a little bit of a misdirection where she rolls her eyes and. Uh, reverts back to her scroll self. You know, I didn't even notice until you just said that. I interpreted it was a phone, like a text thing, but what they're saying is that you're still in your human disguise. Yeah. So at the dinner table, you have to appear like a scroll. That's awesome. Yeah. And there's a little details like that in the book that I liked. Um, like we said, the coloring, I was really enjoying. The art is fun. The way that when they transform, there's like a little bit of a mist-looking type of thing. Um, their tra- transformation is... Uh, pretty easy to look at um, through com- through comic format. What I liked is when the like the sort of upper scroll general shows up to meet with the dad, and he says like, L- "Listen, we paired you up with this woman because we thought that you would have like productive children, and all three of them, you know, of the three, two of them did, but we've only seen two of them, so we know that one of these kids has died." And there's just this sort of sad family trying to still be family thing mm-hmm. going on there. And it's subtle. It's not saying like, well, our cha- daughter died and we're trying to make this work. It's like they don't tell you it. They allude to it in conversation. Uh, I really dig that. Yeah. I really liked that. Also, as part of that, the revelation that there's um, societal class divisions between like the scroll throne yeah. world and scroll colony worlds because his his wife his wife cover whatever um is not from the throne world and he is so there's his boss is already kind of dropping him. some favoritism and i'm gonna go well you know we knew you we could trust you because you're from the throne world right and, the, <laughs> and when the wife realizes that he has talked to her she's like well of course he talked to you yeah you know because she's a war scroll there's like a you know, in, in these coming-of-age stories, you're usually focused on an outsider, and the outsider is an outsider to their family because they're not understood, and they're an outsider to their peers. So there's that like that two-way uh-huh. outsider thing. But she's also an alien, so there's another access of being an outsider. Like, she can't side with the humans because they're bullying her as a kid. She can't side with her family because she's not doing her mission, and she doesn't really have anywhere to go. And I like that she's also kind of... She doesn't know. Um, and... 
like she's kind of an outsider amongst her family because she's kinder. And I like that quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, I like yeah. Her, her empathy thing. Yeah. I think we should all stick with this book if we can. I would love yeah, to yeah. hear everybody's thoughts on issue number two because uh, it's just going to be five long. And I think that they Marvel should be rewarded because they did get this book out on the week that Captain Marvel came out, and they're generally pretty bad about timing that in an effective way. <laughs> yeah. Like Captain Marvel, the ongoing series number one, came out like two and a half months ago, yeah. and then issue two was like a month and a half behind. And yeah, I don't even know if we've gotten three. So it, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm... I was really pleasantly surprised by this. For sure. I was I was too. And I really like the fact like on the cover and in the Captain Marvel movie that the scrolls they're they're making them look more like Kirby's original scrolls with the great big ears. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz a lot of artists kind of got away from that I get think after the 60s cuz they're like, "Oh, they look a little too goofy." But Sure. I like that big goofy scroll yeah. ears and googly eyes. <laughs> I was ready for this book to be a like a throwaway, you know, uh we got a scroll book out kind of thing. And normally those books always have like a one element to get you hooked. Like there's one redeeming quality, but the rest of the book is clearly a media thing, like a, a yeah. corporate thing. This whole book is like a quality book despite like I was like if every tie-in book was this way, I could get behind tie-ins because it seems like there's an actual conceit to tell a story rather than to have scrolls in a comic. Yeah. Did you guys give scores? Uh, seven. Um, I'll give it a I'll give it a seven, yeah. That's a good score. Seven point five. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go eight. Ooh. I, I really liked the character work in it, and I guess, um, I really I think Marvel is doing a great job of trying to find some unique art. Yeah, like for this sure. is a this is a unique artist. There's not really anyone doing it. To be able to compare somebody to James Stoko that's in like the yeah. big two is a pretty crazy thing to do. For sure, especially like when they haven't done big books. So for them to be sort of taking a shot, like, well, we've given you a couple books, and like DC. Love you, but you're not doing the most like. It's out all pretty the, steak. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, exactly. So, so anyway, um, I'm also admiring on the cover that um, it has it has the four family members that are currently alive. The the main character, the girl, doesn't have any of her scroll face showing. Oh, that's true. That's a really human. well done oh, cover yeah. based on yeah. the story. Now. It's kind of representing uh, each each character and how much humanity they have, maybe because sh- she's not. In any scroll form, Her Jimmy sister. Olsen, you stay at the Daily Planet for the entire life of Superman for a goddamn reason. Yeah. You got great insight. You're offering the planet a lot. Thanks. Um, let's move to Green Lantern number five. Oh. I haven't read this one, so I would love to hear everybody's thoughts on this. Ooh, 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 oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. <laughs> Did you read it, Roman? Yeah. I've had it all spoiled for me, so just go oh, okay. for it. Yeah, yeah. Would yeah. you? Disagree with my ooh ooh ooh. No, yeah, no, yeah, it, it yeah. was awesome. Hal's on a vampire planet, and it's dumb. It's it, awesome. it's dumb and awesome. It's got all the vampire uh, tropes in it from name the movie or, or <laughs> wow. book or whatever. It's Bloodborne. Green ooh, Lantern. Yes, yeah, yeah. Give me one. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Yeah. Is he using the saw cleaver? He's using a shovel. <laughs> He's chopping people's I think stuff that's the next sh- DLC's weapon. Yeah. Uh, they talk about the blood church in this. Like, I th- It's almost an, an actual reference, Jeff. It's almost like it's so similar. It's almost an actual reference. Wow. Um, this art is – so I'm flipping through it right now. I, I'm behind two issues on this. Grant Morrison, to me, works so well in collected editions. Also, sometimes really great in, in single issues, but – I'm sort of reading a chunk of it at a time here, but I'm looking at this art, and damn, it's maybe the best art of the series. It's real yeah. good. It's real grimy. It's real gross. Yeah, real atmosphere. It's 
It's awesome. It's probably um, my favorite issue I read this week. You well listen, before we get into it, what are you gonna give it? We're going with score. Straight I just up. want to hear if you're gonna give it a ten or not. I don't know about a ten. Okay, all right, all right. I can get I can get down with that. But I'll I'll slap a, a hefty shiny nine point on it. Okay, all right. That's Ooh. shiny. Um Yeah, so how he is initiated into did you read the last issue? No. Okay. There's gonna be some spoilers. I'm all I I, I know. Okay. So know. yeah, he's he's gonna be a bad guy. Uh, he's double agent. You realize that they, the Watchers, the oh what guy? Guardians. The Guardians. They're, you know, setting Hal up to do some deep cover. They know that he's going to be a traitor, but they kind of are engineering him as a traitor, yeah. right? Um, so he's like a double DNS bad, bad boy. Yeah, he's, that goes back to that issue three when he killed that guy. Like you all saw me yeah. do it, you know. Yeah. Like the, he he was set up to do that. Yep. So all of his moral failings are part of this larger Guardian scheme, and so he's being initiated and in doing some like darker and darker stuff, and he has to do this like these vampiric trials to get his new suit and armor, and to, each one is a test of his loyalty, like what he's willing to sacrifice. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so he's sacrificing his willpower. One of the biggest ones is his ego. Like he, oh. has, he has to rely, he needs to rely on the vampirus to get him out of a situation, so he has to admit he's too weak, and for Hal, that's obviously a yeah. big deal. Yeah, and this whole thing is his, like, initiation into the Dark Stars. Yeah, they're breaking him. Um, and then... Kind of like we do with Django. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he's he's the Django horse that needs to be broken, and <laughs> he uh, calls himself self Black Star Parallax, which is so... Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I said Dark Stars. Black Stars. Black Star Parallax, <laughs> which is awesome. And then the final reveal, you've seen, like, we've seen Adam Strange being involved in this world. With, with, a, with like, in Superman and... He's coming back in a big a way, di- baby. a different thing. Wow, baby. Um, <laughs> what are you up to, Adam? Hey, what are you doing, Adam? Well, Adam's going to get fucked up by his boy, Hal, because on the last page, the final part of initiation is he's got to kill his homeboy, Adam, or Adam Strange, who's... On the there, there's like a technology they're trying to get from his planet that he he's on, right? And from so they ran, ran? Yeah, they yeah. done did catch him, and Hal's got to kill him. How is Hal gonna get himself out of that mess? I mean, sorry, Black Star Parallax. I don't know. There's got there's got to be some. He must do something, or maybe the Guardians do something to like have Adam escape at the last minute. Maybe I, I think know. he's gonna kill him and maybe, feel real bad. Maybe Morrison will just have a Zeta beam. Happen to hit him at the moment and take him back to Earth. That'd be yeah. awesome. <laughs> I love how much that idea just gave Roman joy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the most Roman inside Roman joke. I could feel that deep belly laugh. Yeah. It would just be such a great Deus Ex Mac. Oh, beep, he's gone. Satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's this is like just a big one off. Like Grant Morrison, I want to do some evil vampire metal shit. So he did, and yeah. he made it work perfectly within the story. Yeah. This world is so spooky. It looks so gross and spooky and 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 dirty and like black liquidy gross <laughs> I love this book a lot because it feels so much like a kid playing with action figures but it also has like a network of deep plot going on mm. like there's dub- there's multiple agendas there's how being conflicted and being used there's you know those hints coming up of like that evil weird cyborg Sinestro looking how like all this stuff there is more going on but each time it feels as fun as in and dumb as a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> but there's, like, more going on. Um, it's funny that you say that. Uh, during Hal's uh, uh, trials, he's uh, he ends up uh, at the at the last point. 
he's making his way through uh, to the last bell. I think there were three bells that he had to reach, and uh, some some people living there pop out and they say, "These are people's homes. This is our neighborhood." <laughs> yeah. They're like, "You're waking us all up. We're trying to sleep, and you're just bunking around, yeah, being loud. Yeah. It's uh, bunking around, yeah. um, kind of the." juxtaposition to to what he's going through while these people are just like can you quiet down a little bit or we're gonna kill you yeah we're trying to live here man we're trying to sleep yeah uh i even love the cute little things like the artists i mean all this detail through in little jokes like you know tom cruise and from interview and and what's his name from the twilight movies i think is who that is oh boy in the group of vampires you definitely got with stott um tom cruise there you got like what looks like Man Bat. Yeah, they got the big, the big horrible monster vampire. They got the I don't classic Bella Lugosi. From Team Edward, maybe. Yeah, I never saw any of those. I sure did. <laughs> but some awesome fucking vampire references. Yeah, no I mean, and yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, these are the guys from. Uh, oh, that mockumentary vampire movie. Um, oh, the things oh, you do in the shadows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, I brought something. <gasps> Boom! Big old ten. Oh <laughs> my god! Man, I don't even go. Go. That big worm on the go, counter go, 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 is what go, I just go. threw up on there as a ten. <laughs> hey, Roman, what'd you give it? <laughs> um, I'll give it a nine point five. Okay, okay, I was I gonna see. I was gonna see if Justin's big old go, 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 uh, was gonna be. You know, Roman, Roman is easily influenced. He's like, uh, he's like Luke talking to his dad. I thought something. this whole setup of you know getting it out, flinging it. Out. I thought maybe you were. <laughs> going to push him a point five. So we got a 9, 9.5, and a 10. That's a great <laughs> cross-section of a book score. So, that was that, I guess. <laughs> Boom! What book do you have there? This is Batman 66. Oh. Did you read this? I, I did. I did. I just didn't recognize the first page. I, it was I, one of the first ones I read, so it I'm was not, like... It was the first one I read, and I'm yeah. not trying to rush anybody out of any conversations because I loved listening to you guys, but if we're ready to talk about Batman 66, I think I might have something in a big old sack I'm willing to put on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I was going to have a segue of like, hey, Jeff, can I ask you a question? Did you Would you please? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, <laughs> hey, Jeff. Oh, hey, my good buddy. I got a question for you. I have the answer. Did you read any books that you may gong about this week? No, I'm the question. Oh, Oh, Batman 66. (laughs) (laughs) That's why these people come here is for these segues. Those segues. Um, Batman 66 by Tom King and Jorge Fornes on art. Um, Yeah, everybody, this... um, was a really good issue, and we've been excited about it. And I was sort of vicariously. What I love is having my comrades. I love that anytime I have to sort of tune into something, um, I just open my vest and I look at the sort of the buttons that I have in, in sewn into my jacket. And what I know that I have shown, sewn into my jacket is the Justin and Roman buttons. Love the question. I fucking mm. love the question. So I sort of like. You know, I like the question. I haven't. I, I like him. I haven't read the, anything that has like made me. I haven't. You know, I don't know him as well as my my, my comrades do. So I opened my vest up as I got into this issue, and I pushed down two sort of like speed dial buttons on my spiritual energy meter, my spiritual divining rod, and I just became uh, vulnerable to what the question is and does. And 
more than anything, I love Jorge Fornia's art. This oh, guy is so good. So good. He's instantly one of my favorite artists. Instantly. It's insane. Like, every little thing that he's done. Justin was, uh, we were talking about earlier in the week, and he did, he did a small run of something that was maybe like a Marvel book or something. Like a very small, small, like, five-issue thing that he did. Um, but then he's done just some random Batman issues and then Hot Lunch Special for Aftershock Comics. But his art is... I've been really into Darwin Cook lately, and I would say it's the closest living person to Darwin Cook's art style. Uh, he just does so much with so little, and beyond that, so little. Like most artists, draw things with a pencil line. Even if you're going to do a shadow, you sort of will draw that shadow in, and then you color it in or something. And this artist clearly does the reverse, where they just sort of slop down ink, and they're just drawing in their negative space, and they're drawing in their shadows, and they don't need to outline it with an, a, a line that they're filling in. They 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 do so much of the work with the negative space, and it is incredible to me. Uh, watching artists like this do what they do is so... Oh. I love it. It's the best Batman artist pairing. It's it's perfect. so good. It's like yeah. It's the timelessness of of Darwin Cook. It's the the brilliance of Mazzuccelli's mm-hmm. figure work for sure. Mazzuccelli in there. I, I can't can't state that enough. But Mazzuccelli's like Django was mentioning the other day. Like story to story storytelling isn't super great. His figure work and stuff is awesome, and he's got these amazing like punchy iconic images. And this guy has that while also having kind of like Aja-esque, not quite crazy panels, but yeah, it's very kinetic. Um, yeah. To me, like, to me, I think Darwin is is maybe the best at panel-to-panel stuff. I for think sure. His, he's, he's amazing. You know, he was somebody who always actively was always just like, well, what's your job? He's like, well, I'm a cartoonist. And like, I think that he owned and, and reclaimed the term cartoonist. So this dude is a cartoonist through and through. For sure. And that is a, a word that stuck out of my mind as something different than an artist or a comic book artist is a cartoonist is telling motion in, yeah. in comics. They're doing, they're doing both the jobs, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, for sure. Um, in this, this is amazing. Uh, surprisingly, the question's not even in it that much. But what happened in this issue? Aside from like maybe the most important revelation, revelation since issue fifty, Tom King said that the final page of this issue is what guides the rest of his run. Really? Yeah. What happened to the final page of this issue? Nothing except for two lines of dialogue where Catwoman says, "Okay, I lied," which is. You know, right in the yeah. page before that, the question is like, well, hey, like, oh, right. okay. you know, you explained in this. Like, I love the whole time this conversation is just like, why did you do it? And she's like, I wrote a letter. He's like, I know, I, I read the letter. And he's like, how great love is that you he you wrote a letter and he wrote a letter back. Like, that that witty comment of like, oh, how great love is that you both wrote a letter. That's <laughs> yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, you explained. You loved him. You let him. Uh, you left him so he could be a superhero. And here we are, his family fallen, his friends abandoned, captured by his enemy. For the first time, the Batman is unprepared. So let me ask you, Selina. You're very intelligent. You know him better than anyone. If this was your reason to make him strong, why is he so damn weak? And she says, okay, I lied. So it's like this. her argument for why she left him at the altar and her argument for, like, is her... She's in denial herself, and she lied. And we spent a whole issue with the question drilling her about it. What I think is going on is like her is, or I'm asking, I guess I'm I'm posing a question. Um, Pose. Her explanation is that if she comes into his life, he gets married, Batman gets happy. Happiness is the thing that cures Batman. 
Batman, Batman can't be Batman while also right. being happy. She left him for that reason. Mm-hmm. But that's now what she said. Yeah, and now she's saying she's lying. Yeah. Is that her admitting to being working with Bane? Or is it she something She didn't even work out? with Bane. Okay. Her best friend worked with Bane. And but her is this... best friend chipped away at saying, like, well, do, yeah. isn't he going to not be happy if you you know do this? But is this her admitting to kind of knowing that or that she also has another motivation that we're not aware of yet? I think that, to me, what it really reminded me of was being in high school. And, you know, the girlfriend that was my girlfriend and I, like, stopped dating at some point for whatever reason. And you hear through talking to their friends and talking to their friends that maybe there's some glimmer of hope that you guys could get back together. Oh, and yeah. it was that feeling of, like, well, you lie. Like, what did you lie about? Or, like, what oh, what she... are you in denial about? Or, like, do you still love him and you do want to marry him? And this is actually a front because maybe you're afraid or this is a front because of this or, or any number of reasons. I think, okay, so there's an optimistic level to it. Like, she might actually still be in love with Bruce. That's how I chose to interpret it. Yeah. Um, I love that this is not even the question, though. This is Bruce's subconscious. Like, this is Bruce, how he's figuring out what's going on. Because he's like... Why are you here? I'm only here in his dreams. Like, yeah. this is somehow Bruce... This is him working this out. Yeah, this is how he's dealing with figuring out that he got stood up. Yeah, and so the so he's coming to the conclusion that she lied. Yeah. And I guess I took it more as the objective, this is a conversation that is happening outside of Bruce's consciousness. Oh. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And... No, I, I in my opinion, I think this is Bruce coming to turn. Right, and I, I think that you're right. And I think that for the sake of the story and Tonkin's writing, I think that it's probably true in both regards. For sure. I think that Bruce is able to come to that conclusion. Um, but, yeah, it is it is very much him working through that. And, like, listen, everybody, we can't, uh, we can't emphasize enough the amazingness that is the two panels where, uh, where he says, no, you don't understand. This is his escape. Me, here, finding this truth. It's all he can think to do. And then she says, what, you're the answer? And he says, no, I'm the question. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love, I, no, I'm the question. Like, that is such a double-ended statement that is so, 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 so good. Yeah, I just remember Tom King tweeting that this is a perspective piece. This is all coming from Bruce's head or from inside Batman. Like, we're wa- we are reading this comic as Batman, right? We're supposed to be feeling his experiences. Living and, this nightmare with him that is all inside of him. Yeah, yeah, so I think that was my lens of reading this and seeing that, like, Constantine is like this kind of psychopomic figure that's leading him through the nightmare. And now this is the question is the part of him that figures out that asks the question. Batman is this algorithm, like I've said before, that solves crimes. And he has these different faculties that are being represented as these characters. Constantine is like the boundary breaker, I think. Like he's the one leading him through this world. And now this question is the when Batman is Batman's the one who solves the case. He's not the one who asks the questions. So this is like a representation of how vulnerable Batman has to be is he's like at finally ask, admitting that he's wrong and asking another question. And that's what this like hyper nightmare dialogue is, is him. How he uses characters and uses personas and uses different things to solve these problems. And yeah, I read this the day before this came out. Tom Queen, Tom King tweeted like, yeah, the final page of this is what kind of guides the final quarter of my story. So... You know, that was the big motivating thing is like, what is on that final page and what is that? And to have just those two, yeah, that's those three, the it's such four a words or whatever. Thing. Oh, man, I, I, it's crazy, but like in the last week, I have, I put him as my, my third favorite writer. Yeah, uh, I was gonna Hickman, Morrison, and Tom King. I have some like monolithic people in my personal, 
Like there are my outward, like, oh, I like these guys. These are my passing things that I read and enjoy. But there's like this very personal cabal of people, Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, um, sometimes Warren Ellis, but not even that. Like mainly it's Grant Morrison and Alan Moore, my two favorite guys that like no one else, regardless of how great a story is, can pierce with those. And it's weird to think about someone else maybe approaching that being that good to me. And yeah. It's Tom King. And I like. God, two years ago, I would have been like, fuck no. <laughs> now I'm just trying to undo yeah. all of my where I'm like, I have to read all of his stuff and understand why I felt these things. And, and were the people telling me he was amazing before I was willing to admit it? Were they right? And yeah. I'm almost done with Sheriff of Babylon, and they're right. Like, that book was criminally good and criminally underappreciated. Yeah. Woof. He's he's very, very good. And he's he's very, very smart. But he's also very, very emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. That's what's more important. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's he's doing some real good stuff. And he's like making what I think would be considered like dumb superhero comics. Everyone wants to say superhero comics are kind of like emotionally immature. And I'm like, dude, there are so many layers of depth to superhero comics with Tom King that you can hardly say that people like to act at superhero comics. Like the outside world is just entertainment. And it's like there is – this book has made me think about – like what faculties I use when, like, you know, yeah, this book has got depth. Justin put a really, really profound iron in the fire last week in the form of the Metaphorical Barbecue. Oh, yeah. And the first episode of the Metaphorical Barbecue podcast is coming. Um, <laughs> it's coming within a week or so. And I think that because of how the conversation was ar- arisen um, and how profoundly it struck me in, in, in that conversation, I think the first subject matter has to be Tom King. For sure. The Metaphorical Barbecue, Episode 1, Tom King. Yeah, for sure. So I, look for that in the next month or so. I think we're going to all have to read a couple Tom King books and yeah. then and then bring it to the barbecue and bring it to it. And we should just get a little small hot plate where we just yeah. cook up some meats while we talk <laughs> yeah. about it. Hey, Ashton, do you want to talk about this fucking page? Sure. Uh, just this art in general. Like a couple pages back, his... Gestures for the question, gestures, gestures, whatever it may be. Questures. Everything about this guy's art is so good. And there's a double-page spread of Batman, Bruce, and Selina on, on the rooftops in Gotham. And it's raining, and he has beautiful line work all the way down the pages over everything. Um... Selena saying why and Batman standing there doing his gloomy, quiet, longing looks of consistent character as he does. Um, But this double page spread really speaks to how talented this guy is because he, there's so much going on when there isn't so much going on because it's raining and we've got the water coming up on the characters and on the building. Hey, listen, guys, I, I already put this giant slug on the table. Yeah, this. did you bring something to show us this week? <laughs> oh, God, oh. it's so many tens. It's just that one <laughs> big fat ten for Batman 66. I think if we're going to have our worms here today, I think we should have them play together. Whoa, oh. Oh, look at that worm. <laughs> Oh, he's got so many tentacles. Give him a big 10 for a, a big Tom King 10. Yeah. See, Tom, I bet if we were to look at our podcast historically, no one has earned as many 10s as Tom King. <laughs> for sure. Not, yeah. Well, hey, another one down. 
Listen, we're not there yet because it's going to take work. This metaphorical barbecue, it's going to have to be like a once a month. We're going to have to put work into it and conversation and talk. And we're going to have to find. And meat. We're going to have to find meat. And sauce. And sauces and barbecue sauces. We got, listen, we have a very special customer who's bringing us Alabama barbecue sauce uh, that I think we're going to have to use on the first metaphorical barbecue episode. Um, But I'm really excited about it. And I'm. I'm looking at Justin and Roman and I'm saying, like, Justin pitched this idea that I've thought about every single day for the last week. And if we don't do it, I'm going to do it alone. And then I'm going to no, feel like we, I'm stabbing Justin in the back for taking we, his We idea. can absolutely do it. Um, we got to find the time. And we should also yeah. make it special. We should have a little foodie in some oh, way. Yeah, we're Even if it's that's Deli Mac. No, we're doing it. <laughs> um, but anyway, everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. This is 121. Jimmy Olsen, Ashton Lucaris, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. You are you are one of the first voicemails we ever got. Uh, you are you know one of the best yep. employees at this store, one of the most important uh, people in this shop. Absolutely. Uh, you, we wouldn't be the comic space without you. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank Always. You. Keep it up. I'm Jimmy. <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm Lois. I'm Justin, and I have worms. <laughs> oh, man. Vampiric worms? I had worms once. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> oh.